This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium, and it is good to be here and so good to have you with me for the ride straight on through until morning. Ain't late night radio grand. Uh, We are now uh, heading into my uh, absolute favorite time of the year, the autumn. Uh, The air at night is getting crisp. It's harvest time. Uh, Baseball postseason looms. I just, I love it. Thanksgiving around the corner, up here in Canada at least. A great time of year. And I hope you're all doing fine, wherever you are. Albert Venzel is here running our Hangout on Air uh, you know the drill, surely, by now. If you want to watch the live stream, go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. S as in Simon. Y, because I love you, T at Richard Serrett. Uh, say hello and please follow. Anyway, if you go to the, uh, the top of that feed and you look for the tweet containing the HOA link, Hangout on Air, HOA as the kids call it, click on it and voila! You can watch the show. You'll be uh, in the uh, the inner sanctum, the star chamber. Uh, now, mind you, all you're going to see for the uh, for this evening's program is my ginormous head staring back at you. Our guests uh, tonight will not be on the webcam, but sometimes they are. Uh, however, Albert usually has something uh, interesting in the uh, the slideshow. He'll uh, he'll uh, he'll do something wonderful for you. Uh, Albert has also, boy, he, he's, he's wearing a lot of hats. He works hard, Albert. Uh, anyway, he's posted his usual assortment of tantalizing tidbits in the slide carousel. Uh, just go to the website, strangeplanet.ca or .tv, strangeplanet.ca or .tv. Go to the radio page, and atop that page is the slide carousel. And uh, one of the, the stories there, it's a, it's a short little three-minute video I think you'll like watching. It's uh, titled, Nephilim Fallen Angels Watchers Have Been Released. This is a film out of uh, Iceland. Let me read that title again. It's rather profound. Nephilim Fallen Angels Watchers Have Been Released. That's all I'm going to tell you. You'll have to check it out for yourself. Anyway, watch it because I think that will be a great primer uh, for my next live event. Fast approaching. It's called As in the Days of Noah, which is happening Wednesday, November the 4th. Now, get this. We are bringing, we always bring you the top people. L.A. Marzuli, author of the Nephilim Trilogy, will be on stage with me. Carl Gallops, author of Final Warning, Understanding the Trumpet Days of Revelation, will be on stage with me. And this will be, again, Wednesday, November the 4th, 
at the Oise Auditorium. That's the University of Toronto St. George campus right there on Bloor. And uh, it's 7 to 10 p.m. There'll be a uh, book signing afterwards. For tickets, go to my live events page at strangeplanet.ca. That's the live events page, strangeplanet.ca. And you can order online uh, or call my friends Patrick and Kadena at Conspiracy Culture, 416-916-1696, 416-916-1696. Uh, Nick Redfern is standing by. I got to tell you, he must be tired of talking to me because Nick joined me. Uh, he was gracious uh, to join me last night on uh, Coast to Coast for three hours. We talked about the chupacabra, which is, for those uh, not in the know, that's Spanish for goat sucker. Uh, and um, this is the, the vampiric cryptid uh, that first came to our um, attention about 20 years ago when this it was really it was mass hysteria. It spread across Puerto Rico. All of these reports about this strange winged, leathery winged creature with a mouthful of fangs uh, that was said to be preying on livestock, uh, goats, peacocks, sheep, cattle, you name it. Uh, but that was last night on coast. Tonight, uh, Nick here. Nick is uh, here to talk about something completely different. His brand new book, and my word, I think this is. I think he wrote this between last night and tonight. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, this is like book number 31. And um, in it, he is asking a most uh, profound question. Are significant numbers of humanity the product of an, 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 an ancient and advanced alien civilization? Have we, across the millennia, been periodically modified and refined as a species. In other words, has our genetic makeup been manipulated by otherworldly beings that, that uh, look at human civilization as one big lab experiment? Nick Redfern suggests that a significant number of humans may have been periodically modified and refined by an ancient alien civilization. And this controversial question may well be answered by examining those people whose blood type is RH negative. It's a small percentage of our worldwide population, about 10 to 15 percent, exhibit this RH negative factor. Uh, and if Darwin's theory is correct, that we are descendants from the rhesus monkey, uh, then the entire population should be RH negative. It would stand to reason. If we are descended from rhesus monkeys, we should all be RH negative. But Nick has established in his book that RH negatives are somewhat different mentally and physically, and that many HRH negatives hold positions in both uh, government and royalty. All right. Let's bring Nick in here. He is the author, lecturer, journalist who writes about a wide range of unsolved mysteries, including Bigfoot, UFOs, the Loch Ness Monster, alien encounters, and government conspiracies. His previous, uh, previous books include Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind, For Nobody's Eyes Only, The World's Weirdest Places, The Pyramids and the Pentagon, The Real Men in Black, The, Nas the NASA Conspiracies, and Contactees. 
He's appeared on numerous television shows and networks, including Fox News, The History Channel's Ancient Aliens, Monster Quest, UFO Hunters, VHS, VH, uh, VH1's Legend Hunters, National Geographic Channel's The Truth About UFOs. We don't have time to mention all his accomplishments. Nick, how are you? Hey, Richard, I'm doing good, thanks. I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting deja vu, I think. <laughs> we have to stop <laughs> meeting like this. You must be sick of talking with me. <laughs> It's a real pleasure. Uh, last night was was great fun, and yeah, I'm, cool, I'm I'm looking forward to tonight as well. Um, all right, so R H. I don't. You know, I'm I'm probably in the minority. I guess I should be donating blood more often because I don't even know what my blood type is. Do you know what yours is? No, I actually don't. I have no idea what mine is. People keep asking me that because of the book, and I, <laughs> I really ought to find out so I can at least give them an answer. You know. So. Uh, uh, because I'm a little bit of a novice mm. when it comes to blood types, so explain what uh, Rh negative and Rh blood types are. Well, yeah, sure. Well, there are, primarily there are four uh, main blood groups, and they're A, B, AB, and O. So those are the four main groups: A, B, AB, and O. And um, most of the world's population is what's called Rh positive. Now. People who are Rh positive, that means they contain, their blood contains a particular protein, which um, essentially is, is called the, the Rh factor. And Rh comes from, as you said, the rhesus monkey, or as the official title is the rhesus macaque, but it's more popularly known as the rhesus monkey. Now, and, that, and that's been established, that, that's 100% for certain, correct? The Rh, okay. and this is a marker in the blood, right? A top... Aside yes. from your blood type, we are talking about the Rh marker. Yes, that's correct, yeah. And roughly, um, so people have an understanding, in, um, in the United States, um, the percentage of Caucasians that are Rh positive is roughly around about 91%, 92%. Um, for African Americans, it's uh, somewhat similar. Uh, it's actually a lot less for Asian Americans. It's... Um, I mean, excuse me, it's much more for Asian-Americans, about 97%, 98%. So on average, the, the number of people who are what are called RH negative, that's to say they lack the RH factor, is actually quite small. Um, it's roughly about 4 or 5% of the population overall. Now, the, as I said, the, the RH factor um, essentially, uh, as I said, comes from the rhesus monkey. Now, we are today at least, um, our DNA is genetically uh, identical to the recent monkey, the rhesus monkey, to a degree of about 92, 93 percent. Well, that so, sounds you know, that sounds like a lot, but I mean, I've I've read where also our our genetic makeup, when you compare humans to like a blade of grass, I mean, it's mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of similarities. Does this mean? Does this mean uh, that we are um, we are descendants? we are descended from rhesus monkeys, or does it simply mean we share some of the same proteins? We may have similar, uh, you know, uh, genetic markers with yeah, the, that we share that, with a banana, for crying out loud. <laughs> well, yeah, that, what it basically means is, is that, yeah, is our DNA is sort of 92% compatible with today's rhesus monkey. However, the interesting thing is that the people who are Rh negative, the reason they're called Rh negative, this very small percentage of the population, about 5%, they lack the Rh factor. Now, you know, regardless of 
you know, how you can sort of look at, you know, div different living organisms and compare the levels of, um, you know, the, the DNA compatibility between, like, chimpanzees and people, for example. The fascinating thing, and the thing that still puzzles a lot of people today, is if we're all, you know, homo sapien, why is it that we don't all have this RH factor. Right. That's Whatever that RH factor, wherever it comes from, it's like Sesame yeah. Street. One of these things yeah, is the not like thing. the other. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's the important thing. It doesn't matter so much, you know, um, where it comes from, etc. But if we're all human, if we're all homo sapien, why is it about 5% of us don't have that close compatibility? And they actually completely lack the RH factor. So, of course, this gets to the heart of things like, for example, the theory of evolution, which, you know, I'm not saying it's not correct, but it, it clearly doesn't explain all the answers when, as I said, a small percentage completely lack this one particular factor that the rest of the human population all has. All right, we've got a mystery on our hands, uh, folks. Nick Redfern is here, and his latest, hot off the presses, Bloodline of the Gods. Unravel the mystery of the human blood type to reveal the aliens among us? All right, let's find out when we return The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. All right, Nick Redfern is here, and the latest is Bloodline of the Gods. Unravel the mystery of the human blood type. We're talking RH negative to reveal the aliens among us. Um, we've all heard the term, you know, the one percenters, uh, uh, which is a little bit of class uh, warfare, I suppose. But we're talking about the 10 to 15 percent of the inhabitants of this planet that are RH negative. They don't have that RH protein in their blood. So, as Jerry Seinfeld uh, said, who are these people? You know, why don't they have that RH uh, 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 protein. Does this mean that this is evidence of perhaps alien manipulation um, with human civilization? So let's talk a little bit about this ten to fifteen percent. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, 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 it's mentioned in the in the literature then that we, that we are talking about members of ro the royal houses of Europe, uh, certain political dynasties. Um, talk to me about the documentation that 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 uh, you know points at these particular groups? Well, sure, yeah. I mean, what, one of the interesting things is that a significant number of people who have reported alien abduction cases and um, contactee cases and profound UFO encounters have been shown to be um, RH negative. And this has given rise to the, the theory that um, the, the RH negative um, strain, if you like, um, is indicative of something that is the work of extraterrestrials. In other words, it comes back to this whole issue of sort of genetic manipulation and how the whole alien abduction phenomenon ties in with genetics and reproduction and hybrids and things like that. And that's sort of the, the thrust of the book. Um, the fact that when we look into it, we find countless cases of people who are RH negative and are, uh, had, as I said, profound UFO experiences, and to where the percentage is far more than just in the, the rest of the sort of 85 to 90% of the population. And we also find a lot of um, well-known authors in the, not just the, um, the UFO field, 
but authors who've written about ancient astronaut phenomena, which actually, you know, comes into play with this story as well. For example, arguably the world's most famous um, author on alien, um, ancient astronaut phenomena, Eric Von Daniken, is RH negative. Oh, um, isn't Steiger, that interesting? Who has extensively written on ancient mysteries like the pyramids, Atlantis. Right. Brad is RH negative. What about Zechariah yeah. Sitchin? Zachariah Sitchin was on. Oh, you don't tell. Oh, my. Oh, my. Yeah, and Robert Anton Wilson, who had a deep interest in the whole issue of ancient aliens and the Egyptians, he was RH negative. And, you know, the list goes on. And, and um, you know, so we're seeing the, almost like a, a pattern that for so long has gone under the radar, so to speak, of people who are inextricably linked to the UFO phenomenon who also have the, as I said, the RH negative strain in them. Well, uh, we are told that uh, alien abductions, uh, when it happens in a family, it's often generational. Mm. So if uh, the father or the mother is an abductee, then often the children mm. will be or their, you know, the grandparents and so forth. Uh, now, I know, I mean, with blood types, I could be, let's say, AB and my children uh, might not be, but... Mm. The, but the RH, that marker, that protein marker, does that, is that passed down from one generation to the next? Well, it is, but it's not always. Um, it, it, it's, it happens sort of at random. It doesn't happen all the time. Now, if you've got... Th the main issue, more than anything else, is the compatibility. And, and this sort of gets to the issue to demonstrate how weird type um, RH negative blood is. I mean, I'll give you an example. If, say, uh, you have uh, a man and a woman, and uh, the man's, say, RH negative, the woman's RH positive, you know, and, and she gets pregnant, and um, normally, you know, when a pregnancy occurs, a lot of people don't realize that although the, you know, the, as the fetus grows, the, you know, the unborn baby grows, obviously it's nourished by the mother, but the bloodstreams don't cross. Now, as I right. said, if the father, say, RH negative... And, you know, that the baby is RH negative, but the mother is RH positive, very often it's not a problem. But let's say, you know, um, on occasion that the baby, you know, there might be an issue. And so there's this procedure called an amniocentesis, where in simple terms, a needle is inserted and it allows for the, uh, you know, for a small, very small uh, sample of blood or cells to be taken just to be, you know, examined. Now, if in the process of that, you know, there's a slight issue and the baby's blood, the, you know, the unborn fetus blood mixes with the, um, the pregnant woman's blood during this procedure, amniocentesis, um, the mother's um, immune system views the, un views the unborn baby, and no pun intended, as alien, as foreign, and literally tries to kill the fetus. Oh. Now, fortunately today, there are drugs that can quite easily combat this. But if, say, for example, you know, the, the drugs aren't available, um, the, the unborn fetus can be in, in extreme danger. At the very least, it can cause um, extreme anemia, which can, you know, can result in major problems uh, for the development of the fetus and cause big problems, you know, when the, when the baby's born even. Um, so in other words, we have a bizarre situation where a mother's own body will view the baby she's carrying as something that has to be gotten rid of because the, it perceives the blood as being literally totally, totally alien to the mother. 
And, um, you know, that's almost, it's, it's unique, but it's like disturbingly unique as well. All right. So let's, um, I don't have three hours with you tonight, regrettably. <laughs> I wish I did. I really do. But, so let's lay it on the line here. Um, how do we get from, uh, you know, this, the, the, uh, the RH negative mm-hmm. blood type and alien manipulation. Yes, we have. It's interesting. Uh, it is curious that many yeah. of the people that are alien abductees or, or alleged alien abductees are RH negative. So there seems mm-hmm. to be something going on there. But, I mean, how do we nail this case shut? Well, yeah, sure. That's the interesting aspect. Um, now, you know, I mentioned that the vast majority of the population, round about sort of nine uh, excuse me, about 91, 92% of the population, depending on whose figures you look at, is RH positive. Just a very small percentage are RH negative. But there's one group of people who, where their figures are much higher, between 45 and 60%. And these are the Basque people of Spain and portions of France, B-A-S-Q-U-E. Now, as I said, the Basque people, their figures are, are literally, you know, sort of 45 to 60%, incredibly high. And... The Basque people have their own unique language, which is totally 100% unlike any other European language. It has no similarities with, you know, the, the language in any way, shape or form. It's unique. And the people themselves, um, they look slightly different in the sense that they have sort of heavier foreheads, uh, more prominent wider noses, more powerful looking jaws, and they're, they're sort of more robust physically. What's interesting is that the area where the Basques live is where tens of thousands of years ago Cro-Magnon Man lived. And what we find is that in other areas of the planet where Cro-Magnon Man lived, we also have higher than normal um, RH negative levels. And because of the somewhat similarity between the Basques and the Cro-Magnons, the the, the sort of prevailing belief is that the Cro-Magnons are, excuse me, that the um, the Basques are sort of the, you know, the, the, the last descendants, uh, to a degree at least, of the original Cro-Magnons. All right. Um, so why couldn't that be the answer? The, I mean, are, well, are is, Cro-Magnon... Yeah, I mean, what, that's correct. But what that suggests is that almost certainly, because it's not just in Spain but in other areas, almost certainly that Cro-Magnon man was RH negative. Right, right. Makes sense. Okay. And so the big question then becomes, why is it that in the same way that with Homo sapiens today, a small percentage, you know, are RH negative, why is it that, you know, all these early types of human, like Neanderthal man and some of the early ones that came from before them, why shouldn't they all have been RH positive? And this brings us to the issue of why Cro-Magnon man was potentially the different one. Why was it RH negative? And um, this goes back to the whole ancient astronaut scenario, particularly of people like um, Zechariah Sitchin, who believed that one strain of early human was uh, genetically altered, essentially to turn it into like a slave race. Right. And this would involve creating an entity that was sort of robust, more adaptive and um, more uh, have a greater ability to withstand viruses and disease and things like this. This comes and, from the, the Sumerian creation myths that were put down on these cuneiforms that, correct, that are sitting yes, in the, yeah, the, the Museum Sumerian of London. Myths of, of, yeah. Like the Anunnaki, right. these um, sort of higher powerful, depending on how you look at it, deities or extraterrestrials visiting the earth in the distant past 
essentially, as people like Sitchin suggested, to turn the earth into sort of a resource, almost like a factory, um, but have somebody to do the work for them. So they genetically altered and manipulated and upgraded an already pre-existing, very primitive type of human, which may well have become Cro-Magnon and, uh, as a byproduct, was RH negative. And so then that sort of, if that is the case, that we have like a, an extraterrestrial intervention that altered an early form of human, then from there the suggestion is that this program at a stealth, most, far more stealthy degree than in the distant past is still going on today where we're still seeing this lineage of RH negatives still having deep ties to the UFO phenomenon. Uh, what about the Neanderthals, which is another branch of the uh, mm-hmm. the human family? Um, do they have the RH negative? No, there's, there's no evidence of that. And we're not seeing in areas where the Neanderthals proliferated, you know, a, a similar situation with, with extreme levels of RH negatives as well. And what's interesting is that, you know, the RH negatives were around at the same time as the Cro-Magnons, but the RH negatives vanished under very odd circumstances you know the the prevailing theory is that with the Cro-Magnons you know that they were absorbed into as we are today Homo sapiens with the RH excuse me with the Neanderthals um, it was almost as if they were wiped out and and wiped out under very mysterious circumstances and uh, some ancient astronaut investigators have suggested that they may have been deliberately wiped out by extraterrestrials to allow for the development of the, the Cro-Magnons. In other words, so there wouldn't be this competing, warring situation going on. Um, you know, you allow one to survive at the expense of the, of the weaker one. Now, what's interesting about Cro-Magnon man is that if you look at the early humans, the very early humans that came out of Africa, where they were sort of for all intents and purposes, proto-humans, sort of two to three foot tall, ape-like animals, but with a, you know, a, a degree of intelligence that advanced over the years, etc., etc. But what we have with Cro-Magnon man is a, is a form of man that developed extremely quickly and was highly evolved. I mean, their brains were actually significantly bigger than ours. We know from the cave paintings in, in caves in France, they were extremely skilled artists. If you look at the, some of the artwork that still exists, you can see pictures. I mean, it would easily rival anything you would see in like a museum or an art gallery today. We also know from the remains that have been found that they had burial ceremonies, that they understood what death was and its implications. Um, we also know that they, uh, from uh, tools and uh, remains that have been found, that they had music, uh, rudimentary musical instruments, um, like early type of string instruments. And were they, in, were they inhabiting the fertile crescent, Sumeria, which later became Babylon? Um, well, no, they weren't. But that's the, the area where, you know, the, the stories are that the Anunnaki came down. You know, that, that, that was one of their base of operations, reportedly, with Africa. So it's interesting, you know, that the early humans came out of Africa, and so the Middle East is one of those areas sort of really tied to the whole ancient astronaut phenomenon. But, but what's interesting, you know, it, when it comes to this issue of, um, you know, the, the Cro-Magnons and their developments and so forth, 
um, when we put all these issues together, um, you know, the, the, the sudden development, the, the, you know, the greater brain capacity, etc., etc., it does sound like the sort of spontaneous mutation of one type of early human. Now, of course, you know, the, the prevailing um, standard theory is this was just down to nature and, and nothing else, you know. And, and that's why it's so controversial, because you can make an argument that it was down to nature, or you can make an argument that when you place it in the context of the ancient Sumerian texts, you know, the, and where these stories were heavily believed by the ancient Babylonians, the Assyrians, etc., um, that, that there was some sort of alteration and manipulation of an ancient human species. All right, we will pursue that thread with Nick Redfern, Bloodline of the Gods, when The Conspiracy Show continues. Stay with us. We'll be back very, very soon. And Nick Redfern stays with us, Bloodline of the Gods. Uh, so, this RH negative, uh, and which seems to have been passed down to certain humans uh, via the Cro-Magnon line, um, are is there within certain other groups, let's say the political class, the ruling class, the royal houses, is there a higher percentage of RH negative? Yeah, there actually is. I mean, the, the British um, royal family has this, you know, this strain literally running through it. And this has sort of given rise to the idea of, you know, even if there's sort of an extraterrestrial origin to it, obviously we're not seeing, you know, the planet ruled by aliens today. Or we, we, we would know, obviously. But the, the theory is that in a strange fashion, perhaps they're still sort of ruling in a way, but by proxy. In other words, you know, the, the sort of the ruling elite um, have this, um, you know, the, the RH factor, uh, this, or rather the RH negative uh, factor. And um, in a strange fashion, you know, the, the lineage is still continuing. Now, obviously, for the vast majority of the population uh, who are RH negative, you know, they're not part of any sort of conspiracy or anything like that. You know, they, they may, a lot of people, like me and you discussed at the beginning, neither of us know what our blood groups are. For all we know, we could both be RH negative, you know, but it's not impacting on us in terms of us being part of some exactly. sinister elite or whatever. Exactly. What's that? No, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, I'm listening and I'm saying exactly. That was, yeah, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm right yeah. there with you. But I'm right I there think, with you. You know, one of the theories that's being put forward is that the elite may know something about the secret history of this lineage and may have some understanding of what it actually means to be different. You know, for the rest of us, it's, oh, well, my blood's just different to yours. Big deal. You know, what's on TV tonight? <laughs> that kind of thing, you know. Um, but for the rest of for the for the elite, it may well be that they have some sort of understanding of the implications of, as I said, of what it means to be... Um, RH negative, but I mean certainly the in today's world the most visible um, aspect of all this is in relation to the alien abduction phenomenon. Now, as well as the blood group, you know, being distinct or the blood itself being distinctly different, there are also a number of physical differences as well. One of them being that every year a small percentage of the population are born with an extra vertebra in their spine and you know for the most part it doesn't cause any issues at all and most people 
would never even perhaps know they got an extra vertebra unless they had to have a, you know, a surgery and the doctor happened to tell them. But the portion, the, excuse me, the percentage of people who are Rh negative who are born with an extra vertebra is actually higher than in the rest of the population. And this brings us to one of the most famous abduction, if not the most famous abduction case of all, the Betty and Barney Hill case sure. of 1961. Um, in September 61, Betty and Barney were driving back home from a holiday in Canada uh, to their home in New Hampshire and had... You know, I won't say it's the first abduction because it wasn't, but it was, uh, you know, over time, further earlier cases have come forward. But it was certainly the first one to be recognized on the sort of scale and type we talk about today. And they had, um, they saw this strange light in the sky, got closer. They saw these things looking through windows of the craft. And they had missing time and start to develop strange dreams and nightmares, and eventually, you know, stress grew and grew, and they decided to have regressive hypnosis. Now, under the hypnosis, bear in mind this issue of the extra vertebra, um, Barney Hill, under hypnosis, said that the aliens kept doing something what he felt was very strange. They kept running their fingers up and down his spine, and with hindsight, he wondered if they were counting his vertebra. <sighs> now, this was sort of early 60s when he was um, interviewed, and uh, excuse me, when he was hypnotized. And so, in other words, nobody back then was talking about Rh negative blood and extra vertebra in connection with alien abductions. And right. yet, Barney Hill hit on something 50 something years ago that is part and parcel of today's Rh negative controversy in relation to the alien abduction phenomenon, Isn't this matter of having an extra vertebra. That is fascinating. So uh, why then, why they're coming back mm -hmm. uh, and they seem to be particularly interested in, I guess, their their offspring, their descendants of yeah. this, this ancient hybrid program. What do they want? Why the, why the RH people, the RH negative mm -hmm. people rather? Yeah, well, this, if we look at the original stories and most of the sort of hypotheses and scenarios that have been put forward by people in the ancient astronaut community, they've suggested that the initial impetus, as I said, was to create like a slave race in the very, very distant past, sort of tens and tens of thousands of years ago, where would we would be sort of, you know, definitively inferior to this a highly powerful and advanced extraterrestrial race. But the the theory today is that, you know, it's sort of a, a strange form of irony that they may well be on a genetic decline. So whereas in the distant past we were, you know, we were manipulated to be a slave race, today they may be reliant on us as a means to, to keep their civilization alive. And that may explain the entire focus of things like alien abductions where you have you know the the aliens supposedly taking um dna cells eggs sperm that kind of thing and abductees talk about seeing hybrid babies and hybrid children so in other words it may be that the tables have turned that the old days of this you know all-powerful race creating a slave race on the planet is now possibly on a, a significantly and, and dangerously uh, or dangerous uh, um, evolutionary decline to where now they're still reliant on us or using us, but from a diff very different perspective, now it's to try and ensure their survival. 
All right, Nick, we have one more segment uh, coming at us, and we'll get to that right shortly. Uh, Nick Redfern, Bloodline of the Gods. Richard Serrett here on The Conspiracy Show. Hang out. Say hi on Twitter at Richard Serrett and the website strangeplanet.tv, strangeplanet.ca. Nick Redfern is here, Bloodline of the Gods. Um, you, you, you mentioned, the, you know, the extra vertebrae. We have the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, um, the absence of the RH antigen. Um, I hear a lot these days also about um, uh, scientists scratching their head over something called junk DNA. Um, some people have this DNA that doesn't seem to serve any useful purpose here on Earth, mm-hmm. uh, which... I mean, does that play into this as well? Do the people with the extra vertebrae, the RH negative, do they have some of this junk DNA? Well, that, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure to what extent, you know, the RH negatives have, um, you know, a higher degree. But the whole junk DNA angle is an interesting one because, again, it suggests that we don't, even as I said at the beginning, even if the theory of evolution has merit, there are, there are, there are clear anomalies um, you know, in terms of why we're not all quite the same. You know, I mean, you can make a... If you look at the distant past, you know, you look at Cro-Magnon and Neanderthal man, they were actually different types of human. You know, so you can make a case, well, maybe the DNA would be different. But today, we're all homo sapien. And, you know, it, it, I guess for a lot of people, it might be strange to think, you know, the concept of living alongside a different... another form of human that's actually different to us you know that's like with Cro-Magnon and, and Neanderthal they were both human but they were different types of human but today we're all uh, homo sapien so that begs the question why is the RH negative issue even an issue why is the junk DNA issue even an issue it shouldn't be because we're all 100% homo sapien we should all be the same all right let's Come at, come at this from a, a different angle. And I mentioned off the top, I'm, I'm bringing uh, L.A. Marzulli to town in mm. November and um, the Nephilim trilogy, Fallen Angels, and so forth. Let's sort of overlay this story with the biblical narrative now. Now we're not talking about uh, the um, you know, extraterrestrials. We are mm. talking about fallen angels, commingling with the daughters of men. We know about this from the Book of Enoch and Genesis creating, uh, you know, this this race mm-hmm. of, of giants and so forth, mm-hmm. which, you know, uh, just as a quick aside, I, uh, I never quite understood, you know, the, the idea of this wrathful God in the Old Testament ordering, mm-hmm. ordering the Israelites to go into a village and smite every man, woman, and child. A lot of smiting going on mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. And, but if we understand uh, the, um, the need to, um, to do that, if... If if they weren't actually smiting humans, they were smiting the offspring of of the fallen mm. angels. Then it makes more sense. So, is it possible then, Nick, that again overlaying this on, on on top of the biblical narrative, the RH negatives are coming from a line descended from the Nephilim? Well, yeah. I mean, that, that's not impossible. I mean, that's actually one of the theories that's been put forward. I mean, you mean you look at a lot of the accounts from you know, the ancient biblical texts, and you know, you quite rightly, you, you, you know, we hear of the Nephilim, we hear of the giants, you know, the uh, 
the men of renown and certain biblical characters living extensive lifespans and, you know, things like this. And even the story, for example, of how Eve, Adam's wife, was supposedly created, you know, from one of Adam's ribs. I mean, if you read the, um, the translation, it actually says that Adam was put into a state of a deep sleep and his rib was removed to create Eve. Well, that sounds like, you know, something, an, an early human being anesthetized and, you know, cells or DNA being extracted to then, you know, create or at least upgrade, you know, the female of the species, if you like, as well. Um, you know, you can look at it from that perspective. You can find a lot of stories in, you know, in the Bible that have at the heart of them what can be interpreted as sort of crossbreeding or advanced genetic um, manipulation going on. And uh, in, in, uh, in, the, in the New Testament, uh, in Matthew, uh, Jesus says, in the end times it will be uh, as it was in the days of Noah. Uh, and it says, of course, that in the days of Noah, there were, uh, or before Noah, rather, there was there were Nephilim upon the earth, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, again later there were Nephilim. So, if you look at the you know the the flood story, the biblical flood, yeah. as a way of sort of cleansing the gene pool, because mm-hmm. only Noah and his family were of pure blood; they didn't have Nephilim mm-hmm. blood. Um, so I, it's interesting if you look at it that perspective. You know, we, we may be talking about the same thing, but in from different perspectives here. No, you're right, and I mean this is something else I talk about in the book, in the sense that um, it, it may not be coincidental. You know, when you're talking about sort of the rise of like a, like a like mirroring the distant past. Uh, you know, today we have stories about the hybrid children, hybrid babies, and the black-eyed children, which I talk about quite extensively in the book. In other words, sort of, um, you know, a a half-human offspring, which certainly in the last 20 years or so is becoming more and more prevalent in UFO reports. You know, you go back to the Betty and Barney Hill days in the 60s and 70s. Yes, there was a reproductive component and a sexual component, but we weren't hearing stories of, like, hybrid babies and hybrid children and all this kind of stuff. From the early 90s onwards, that was really dominating a lot of the reports, and certainly more so today. So, in other words, we can sort of make that parallel, you know, that um, they're sort of rising up again right now. The um, the hybrid uh, angle is interesting, and I know that, you know, if you look at the um, sort of the progression of uh, Dr. David Jacobs and his mm-hmm. line of thinking, and, and um, after... Uh, working with hundreds and hundreds of alleged alien abductions, mm. uh, abduction cases, and and now he has come around to this idea of what is the alien agenda, and it's it is this alien hybrid program uh, to create, I guess, or to subsume the human race. Um, but if, as you mentioned off the top, you know, many of us, you could be walking around RH negative. I may be RH negative. Uh, so we have alien uh, genetics. We are part alien. But what difference does it make? Uh, unless at some point maybe they're able to flip a switch and we revert back to, um, you know, our, our alien forebears? Yeah, well, I don't know. Well, I talk about that in the book, and personally, I don't think, you know, that would be great for us like a sci-fi movie, but I don't think that's an issue. You know, you're quite right. 
that the, the small percentage of the population that's RH negative, they're just, you know, like everybody else. You know, they're no different. They're not all sort of getting together and having secret phone calls at midnight or anything like that. So I think what it comes down to is that the, you know, the, the bloodline may be continuing, but it's not something that for the most part, um, you know, is being where these people are sort of, you know, can be mind controlled or altered, nothing like that at all. Um, you know, they say they wouldn't know unless they even had their blood checked. But the, the whole issue of the abductions and the genetic manipulation does seem to tie in with the RH negative issue. So in other words, what it may well be is that these entities are ensuring that their ancient bloodline continues um, for their benefit, you know, with the, with the hybrid children, the hybrid babies, that kind of thing. But the, you know, the average, you know, they may be taking tissue, DNA, genetic materials, etc., from the RH negatives for their, you know, their gene splicing operations with their hybrids. However, the RH negatives themselves aren't like any kind of threat or anything like that, no. No, except uh, perhaps, uh, again, at the very top, and we're talking about the, the ruling yeah, the elites. May, yeah, the people who may actually know something of this ancient secret story that's been passed through powerful secret societies and, you know, influential families and the real power brokers of the planet, they may know you know, what the significance of what the RH negative blood means. Right, and, 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 and let's face it, the, uh, the royal houses, uh, they're very careful about, you know, who they uh, oh, yeah. intermingle with, and so maybe yeah. the idea here is that they are trying to keep that bloodline pure, and so they are only one step removed from the Anunnaki. Well, that was one of the big issues, you know, with when uh, with Princess Diana, um, you know, had she not got killed, there was there were we know there were major concerns on the part of the royal family that had she married Dodi Fayed, you know, that the um, that that from from their perspective, you know, it's sort of very much like a racist perspective, but they would have from their perspective, it was perceived as you know that just cannot be allowed to happen, you know, that just must not happen. And fate stepped in, and it didn't happen. But uh, but it does demonstrate the, you know the the concern it, that the British royal family has about keeping their line pure. Even in the political dynasties in the United States, where we find inver- invariably, you know, one president is related to another. I mean, that it, yeah. it just confounds all logic, yeah. really. And yet, you know, you have uh, uh, Obama is is related to Dick Cheney. I mean, come on. Well, also, you know, we have uh, certainly one of the world's most, if not the world's most famous, or infamous, I should say, RH negatives, Lee Harvey Oswald. I didn't uh, know that. And it just so happens that his wife, Marina, she was RH negative, or she still is RH negative, she's still alive. But, um, you know, so there's a lot of very well-known figures throughout history who were RH negative and who actually had a big, profound effect on world history as well. So, I, I, I mean, after writing this, why didn't you rush out and get your blood tested, Nick? I know well, I would. Well, you know, I really ought to because I, I never actually gave it a thought. And then, of course, inevitably, when you write the book, people say, well, what blood group are you? And I'm like, well, <laughs> I really should have figured all that out before I wrote the book, you know, because <laughs> I should have anticipated that question's going to come up every occasion. So. Or maybe best not to know. I don't know if I well, want <laughs> uh, No, I'd actually would like to know. It'd be intriguing to know. But I mean... I mean, to give you a classic, another classic example, a friend of mine, Mike Cleland, 
um, who has written extensively on alien abductions. Um, not too long ago, he, you know, he's one of the major figures in abduction research today. Um, he got his blood checked, and lo and behold, he's RH negative as well. And he's had some really weird, like synchronistic experiences with the whole UFO phenomenon. Well, um, you know, maybe going forward, uh, never mind uh, a candidate for the um, uh, position of occupant of the White House having to present, you know, their social social security number or their birth certificate long form. Maybe they need to submit to a blood test. Nick, oh, yeah, but, uh, you have done it again, my friend. Congratulations. Bloodline thanks, of the gods. And uh, give us a website quickly. Uh, Nick Redfern, or if people type in Nick Redfern plus World of Whatever, that'll take them right to my link. World of Whatever. All right, Nick, thank you. We'll talk again soon, I hope. Thanks, Richard. See you later. All the best. All right, the website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.tv. Really, check it out. Brand new landing page. Go there, and from there, it's just a quick uh, click, and you're into the radio program, the TV program, of course, now... Getting ready, Season 4 across Canada, Vision TV. There's also a live event page. Check it out. Say hi on Twitter. And as always, follow the truth. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Ah, thanks for inviting me into your home. Your long-haul truck, your taxi cab, that lonely diner just off the interstate, your RV, cabin in the woods, what have you. A a special hello to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, here in Toronto, AM 740, and our new FM transmitter, 96.7, and it sounds great. A hearty how-do. To all of uh, those of you listening in on one of our affiliates in the uh, United States, of course, the podcasts, iTunes, TuneIn, uh, Stitcher Radio, uh, TalkZone.com, the uh, Zoomer Radio app, which is uh, is great. If you haven't checked out the Zoomer Radio app, you really must download it. It's so easy to to um, uh, to use and download, um, and it's kind of a retro. It's got kind of a retro feel to it, which I absolutely love. Um, and of course, uh, the uh, the Conspiracy Show app, which is now available as a free download at iTunes and the Google Store for those of you on Android devices. Uh, Jim Mars is standing by, and we'll join uh, him in just a few moments. Uh, Jim is down in the uh, the Fort Worth area of Texas, and he's got another humdinger of a book. Uh, this one on the uh, depopulation agenda, uh, population control. Uh, it's called. And uh, Jim is coming to Toronto on October the 2nd, presented by my good friends Patrick and Kadena at Conspiracy Culture, which is really such a hub for, uh, for those of you who listen to this program and others like it. Um, anyway, we'll tell you how to get tickets uh, shortly. But again, Jim Mars coming to Toronto uh, Friday, October the 2nd at the, uh, the University of Toronto. It's the Medical Sciences Building. Um, just a reminder again, season four of The Conspiracy Show, the television program, will debut across Canada on Vision TV this fall. Brand new episodes. And, uh, you know, I am getting a lot of mail from viewers new to the program down in Australia 
who are enjoying the uh, the program down there on the it's on the History Channel I think across Australia and I just heard I just got word of this we've just sold the uh, the conspiracy show in Thailand uh, so hopefully we'll uh, we'll hear from from uh, viewers in in Bangkok and other places all right let's get to it uh, from the uh, the food that we eat the water we drink the air we breathe everything these days seems capable of killing us. Um, and recently, we've seen an unprecedented number of deaths due to medications uh, for diseases that may not even exist, obscure cancers caused by, um, quite possibly, modern devices. Um, and then there are, of course, I, need I mention, you know, brutal uh, police tactics. Uh, one has to wonder, is this some coincidence? Well, Jim Mars is uh, screaming at us to think again. Uh, in his new book, Population Control, he uh, lays out a rather stunning case for what is quite possibly his most audacious conspiracy yet. The scheme concocted by a handful of global elites to reduce the world's population to 500 million by whatever means necessary and make a profit from it all at the same time. Jim Mars is the best-selling author of Rule by Secrecy and the Trillion Dollar Conspiracy. Those are just two of uh, too many to mention. Anyway, he's pulling no punches in exposing this evil and chilling effective plan. He explains how a small group of tremendously wealthy and powerful people control virtually every important industry, guns, oil, pharmaceuticals, food, and of course, the media, and how it uses this vast network of conglomerates to take actions that lead to the deaths of men and women all over the world. Jim Mars, great to have you back on The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hey, Richard. It's always great to be with you, and I'm looking forward to coming up to Toronto because <laughs> the Texas summer heat is still going, <laughs> and I look forward to coming to cooler climes. Well, it is. It, the air is getting nice and crisp. So, uh, again, we will um, we'll look forward to you coming. And this is uh, Friday, October the 2nd. Friday, October the 2nd. And this is a Conspiracy Culture special event. And uh, people can go to the website, conspiracyculture.com. Just click on the uh, events page. And it's so fast and easy. You can order online. You can go into the store, Conspiracy Culture, uh, right there on, uh, on Bloor Street. 1344 Bloor Street West, or you can just call them over the phone, 416-916-1696, 416-916-1696. I mentioned, you know, perhaps your most audacious uh, conspiracy yet. I mean, it's getting, I think we all have the sense, you know, that it's later than we think uh, and that things are coming to a head uh, and that, that, the um, the elites almost aren't – they're not even concerned now about covering their tracks. It's almost sort of all out in the open. Do you have that sense? Well, I certainly do. Uh, but uh, luckily there are people all around the world that are resisting this plan. And uh, by the way, uh, let me point out to you and your listeners, I mean, you know, this is, this is not just – political discussion. It's not politics as usual. It's not even philosophical debate. Uh, we're talking about self-defense, okay? These people want you dead. Uh, it's absolutely correct, and, and it's all based on a false premise. 
It's based on the idea that there is just too many people in the world. Um, you know, I can uh, if when you read my book, you can go right down the list and you can find, for example, um, Prince Philip. Okay, the royal family, and he has said human population growth is probably the single most serious long-term threat to survival. If it isn't controlled voluntarily, it will be controlled involuntarily by an increase in disease, starvation, and war. And uh, isn't that pretty much what we see going on? And by the way, just so you don't think he was just being rhetorical, at another time, he said, in the event that I'm reincarnated, I would like to return as a deadly virus in order to contribute something to solve overpopulation. <laughs> a deadly virus? They want us dead, I'm telling you. And, and Richard, it's all based on a fa- faulty, faulty premise, which is that we are indeed experiencing uh, overpopulation problems, you know? And the reason I can say that that's false is because right now there are seven and a half billion people on this planet. If we gave each and every one of them a 2,000 square foot home, okay, the entire world's population could live quite comfortably in the state of Texas, okay? Now, please, don't come rushing down here. (laughs) I don't think we all want to be here in Texas. Right. But you get the idea. I, get, and if you I, I agree. If you to really spread them out, maybe everybody have about an acre or so, then the whole world's population could live in Australia. Okay? Now, uh, it, it's really interesting, though, that uh, they seem to think that we have too many people and they want to reduce the population, such as the uh, infamous Georgia Guidestones, that monument in Georgia that was yes. put up under mysterious circumstances. Yeah, they are uh, revealing uh, all in those Guidestones. Tell us what they say exactly. Well, their very first admonition says, maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Well, doesn't that sound warm and fuzzy? But my question is, hey, there's seven... <laughs> Point five billion of us in the world today, and what's supposed to happen to the other seven billion? And even more importantly, who's going to decide what happens to the other seven billion? Right, right. And you that know, leads us into the uh, the whole subject of population control. Well, you mentioned the five hundred million, and uh, if memory serves, you would know this. If anyone on the planet would, that uh, in Foreign Affairs Quarterly. Um, which is the, uh, the, the organ, the publication that is, um, uh, I believe, uh, published by the, I think it's the Trilateral Commission. No, it's the Council, Council on Foreign on, Relations. Yes, thank you, the Council on Foreign Relations. They, in one of their issues, that was their stated objective, to reduce the population to 500 million. Exactly. Now, I want to point out, when I say the corporate owners are killing us, I'm not necessarily talking about corporate uh, uh, officers. Okay, because when you get to the level of these giant multinational corporations, most of their officers, their presidents, their vice presidents are probably pretty good people. Okay, and they're probably just fine, probably have Harvard business degrees, but they are administrators. Okay, they were there and paid all that high dollar salary as a as a corporate uh, officer because they uh, have shown that they can run that corporation efficiently and uh, profitably. It's the people who own these things that make the decision. And it might be the 
the CEO, might be the board chairman. It might even be someone who only owns about 5% of the stock. Because if nobody else owns more than 5% of the stock, then that person controls the and dictates the policy of that corporation. Now we're talking about the uber-rich, the, the overly rich. And uh, now we're talking about the people who uh, sometimes themselves, and certainly through representatives, meet once a year on, as the Bilderberger Group, okay, which we uh, used to be uh, the, their, their corporate media acted like that didn't even exist, and at least now there, there are reports on it. I know a few years ago when they were meeting in Canada, there was a lot of press about it. So people are beginning to at least understand that this is real and that these people meet, and they want us out of the way. Now, here's the whole thing. Up at that level, most of those people are heavily into eugenics. Okay, eugenics being a movement that started in the late 1800s um, and started in the United States, actually. Uh, Mrs. Averill Harriman was one of the, uh, Edward Harriman was one of the uh, founders of the eugenics movement, and their whole idea was is that we need to uh, clean up the race uh, and we need to see to it that people that uh, didn't live up to their standards uh, you know, get uh, get thrown out of the gene pool. Right now, right. This was know, the and and they, the Nazis took their racial hygiene laws from the United States. Exactly. Now, what happened was in the 30s, uh, this eugenics movement moved over to Germany, and when the Nazi Party took over, they carried it to its logical extreme. They said, well, you know, we got some people here, some gypsies, some Jews. We don't really like these people, so we'll just kill them. And that led to the Holocaust and World War II. Uh, luckily, the rest of the world said, no, no, wait a minute. We don't think that's really the way to do things. And so we had World War II, and we had 26 nations uh, led by the United States, Canada, uh, Britain, Australia, who then, you know, stopped National Socialism. Um, but uh, unfortunately, the ideas never quite died. And, of course, uh, Richard, since you've read my book, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, you realize that uh, although we defeated the German military in World War II, we really never quite defeated the Nazis. We just ca caused them to move, and they went to various places, including the United States. All right, Jim, we'll take a time out. We'll come back and continue to delve into population control right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. The great Jim Mars is with us, and his latest is population control. Jim, this... I mean, I, you're, you're going to be with us uh, many more years, God willing, and, and there'll be more books, but I really think this is your most important work. Did you feel that that as you were writing it, that this is, you know, the, the urgency and, and, and all that? Well, in a way, yes, I guess I did, because, uh, you know, I've been asked by several people, you know, because I usually write about, you know, secret societies, um, <clears throat> government conspiracies, assassinations, world history. And, and they said, well, you know, why are you suddenly writing about food and, and, and air and water? And uh, I guess the answer, quite simply, is, is that we're in danger, and people are in danger, and uh, there's, there's a lot of problems going on, and uh, we're not being told about it. It's just not happening. Uh, let me tell you how bad it is. Dr. Stephanie Sinnott is a senior MIT research scientist, and she has uh, drawn, uh, said, uh, found a remarkably consistent correlation 
between the rise of glyphosate, which is the main ingredient of Monsanto's Roundup herbicide, which they used copiously on all the soy, corn, and wheat crops in the United States, and I'm assuming this probably works in Canada also. And she's found this um, remarkably consistent correlation between the use of Roundup and the rise of autism. Yes, and leaky gut syndrome as well. You can see it on a chart, you know, from 1990 up till now, you've got this steadily increase of the use of Roundup with glyphosate, and at the same time, parallel, you've got the increase in autism. And Dr. Sennett says at today's rate, by 2025, one in every two children will be autistic. Now, is this what we really want for our future, our prosody? You know, um, the... um you were mentioning, you know, the uh, the elites that are. Uh, this is, you know, it's war on us. It's not, it's not war on terror. We are the enemy. We are, you know, the useful, the useless eaters, as Kissinger uh, supposedly said. Yeah. But the problem I see it is that they are, they have this mindset. They have won the hearts and minds of society. You have well-intentioned people who believe that we have a population uh, a problem and that humans almost are a cancer upon the earth. Uh, and so we are taking, especially here in the West, we are taking this suicide pill, whether we are talking about, you know, the abortion industry and, you know, the den mother of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, was one of these eugenicists. Uh, it, it seems like they've 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 won over seemingly good people to their side. Exactly. And to show you how high up and how important some of these people are, let's just consider John Holdren. Okay, John Holdren uh, participated in writing a book uh, years ago called Echo Science, and uh, he's one of these eugenicists, and he says, many of my colleagues feel that some sort of compulsory birth regulation would be necessary to achieve such control over the population. One plan, often mentioned, involves the addition of temporary sterilants to water supplies or staple food. Doses of the antidote would be carefully rationed by the government to produce the desired population size. Now, okay, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but who is John Holdren? He is the uh, scientific advisor to President Obama, the science czar. And so we have people like this in charge. Uh, we have a real problem, folks, and uh, it's not going to go away anytime soon. For example, right now there are 10, just 10, giant multinational corporations that control much of the developed world's food supply. And, and I read them off, and I'm sure you, you and your listeners are familiar with most of them. Nestle, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, uh, General Mills, Kellogg's, Mars, Mandela's, Associated British Foods, Datone, and Unilever. There you go. And uh, almost everything you eat at one point or another probably goes to these corporations. And like I say, the big thing now is that uh, they are using uh, this, number one, this Monsanto herbicide Roundup. Uh, and also, of course, we get into the controversy of genetically modified organisms, GMOs. And even though under the USDA, uh, Department of Agriculture, organic regulations bans uh, GMOs, 
nevertheless, that's, that's if you get the organic label. But otherwise, 95% of all soybeans and 80% of all U.S. corn uh, contains GMO. Now, Richard, I don't know if you about this, but bring you up to date on this. This is pretty interesting. Uh, one of the deputies of the Russian parliament, the Duma, has announced that they are going to ban all GMO foods in Russia. So, and I know they've already it's already been banned in several of the European countries. Yes. So, see, everybody in the world's not falling for this, but here in the United States, once I'm sure laps over into Canada, uh, Monsanto has such political clout and has such control over lobbyists. And, and controls academics through grants and all like that, then we can't even seem to get a law passed that simply says you have to label something, whether it's GMO or not. And, uh, and the problem the, is, as you mentioned with the corn, uh, okay, you can say, well, I'm not going to eat – I mean, I love corn on the cob, but we don't bring it in the house anymore. But, but the problem is corn and, and corn syrup and uh, it, it, corn is in everything. You yeah, can't get away from it. Let's not forget, Richard, if you eat beef, you're eating cows that probably are eating the genetically modified corn. That's right. That's right. And, and Monsanto's motto uh, was, you know, feed the world. And, and they tried to lay this trip on us that the only way we can feed 7.5 billion people uh, is, you know, the only way we can increase yields is through uh, GMOs. But that's proving to be false because, uh, I mean, the data simply doesn't support that. You can, you, they're not increasing yields with, with uh, GMOs. Exactly. And uh, not only that, but they convinced a whole bunch of uh, the farmers in India to accept their uh, GMO and their uh, Roundup herbicide uh, to increase their crop yields. And instead, the very opposite happened. It turns out that they require more water, which the Indian farmers didn't have. And as of today, there's been tens of thousands of them that have committed suicide because they can't make a living because their farms have turned out to be almost sterile. The other interesting thing, and, and um, I, I'm sure you would argue this, is by design. Uh, you go into a grocery store, and never before have we seen seemingly so much bounty. Uh, and yet, the the nutritional value in a potato, uh, or uh, you know, vit- the vitamin C or the vitamin A, it's 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 declining. I mean, you might as well be eating cardboard. Exactly. Uh, and the thing is, this has all happened. I, I, I'm not sure how old you are, Richard, but I'm old enough to remember I was, I was a kid in the 40s and the 50s. And uh, it was not until the late 50s that uh, they began to bring in processed food. So those of us who grew up in the 40s and the 50s predominantly were eating locally produced foods uh, and vegetables and fruits. Uh, and we were basically healthy. Uh, starting in the 50s, I remember when they first came out with TV dinners. Oh, man, what a wonderful invention. You throw it in the oven, you heat it up, and you got a warm meal, you know, and everybody went nuts for sure. it. Sure. The, Salis- the Salisbury then, steak was frozen, but you would scold yourself on the, on the, apple, on the apple sauce. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. You, you cut it in the meat, and it's kind of cold in the center. But, but it all began processed foods. Processed foods. Now, I don't want to just say we need to stop eating all processed foods, but we need to be aware and we need to treat things accordingly. By by the 60s and 70s and certainly moving on into the uh, 80s, uh, you're right. You've got this multiplicity of food, but it's basically non-nutritious. 
And uh, you can see the facts of that, uh, the effects of that right here in the United States because uh, one of the biggest growing problems we have for health-wise is obesity. Okay, and this is because everybody's eating starches and processed food, and you're not really even getting the nutrition that you truly need. And, of course, this also means that you have a population that just grows sicker and sicker. Well, what happens when you get sick? Got to go to the doctor. What's the doctor going to do? They're going to tell you to eat right? No, they're going to give you a pill because they're all pretty much tied in with the giant pharmaceutical corporations, the same people that own those ten corporations that produce all the food we're eating. Now, Am I just shouting in the wilderness? Maybe so, but it's the problem is they also own the media. Uh, It's amazing. Um, I give you a good example of that. Uh, One concern for a lot of people today, and I'll admit it concerns me, and it's and it's correct to uh, uh, to be concerned about it, are these uh, shootings in schools. You know. And uh, But all the U.S. media can talk about, it seems, is that it's about guns. Oh, it's all about guns. If we just outlaw all guns, take all the guns away from everybody, why, well, everything would be okay. Well, it's about mental illness, though, isn't it, Jim? In part. Well, it's worse than that. Yeah. It's about the drugs. Uh, I grew up in Texas. We had guns. We took guns to school. I, I remember going saying, hey, look at my new 22. And we had people that had shotguns, rifles, and the uh, gun racks of their pickup trucks. Nobody shot anybody. It's the drugs, starting in the uh, 80s uh, with the rise of psychotropic drugs. Well, let me put it this way. When I was in grade school, I was an avid reader. I was a very good reader, a very fast reader. And as a result, if we were reading as a class, okay, class, we're all going to read this, I, I was two or three chapters ahead. So I'd get a little bored. I'd be looking out the window. Well, back then, the days of the old republic, when the teacher came by and saw me looking out the window, she'd slap me on the wrist and say, Jimmy, stay with the rest of the class. And I'd go, yes, ma'am. And that's all there was to it. But today, they'd probably send me to the school nurse, who had then been trained and and, uh, conditioned to send me to the school psychiatrist or psychologist, who would say, oh, well, he's probably got attention deficit disorder, and they'd put me on Ritalin or Prozac, right. or one of these drugs who, if you'll read the fine print, says brings on tendencies towards suicide and homicide. It's the drugs, and I could go back and show you every mass shooting from the church shooting in North Carolina to uh, the Virginia Tech shooting to uh, even uh, the Colorado shooting, okay? And every single one of them involves people who were on or coming off of these psychotropic drugs. Secondary serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, they call them. That's right. And uh, here's the problem. See, you're never going to hear this in the corporate mass media. Why? Because uh, certainly here in the States, if you watch uh, commercial TV, uh, every time they go to a commercial, if they're not selling you a car or truck, they're selling you a drug. So they're not going to... Despite the nose of their chief advertiser, and and uh, the other thing is they uh, these these um, uh, class action suits, not class action, individual suits come up, uh, and they settle out of court, uh, and it costs them. It may cost them in a year, you know, ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty million dollars, but that pales in comparison to the profits. It simply becomes the cost of doing business. Exactly, and what a lot of people uh, don't realize is that back in the 80s, 
the United States Congress passed the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program and set it up. Uh, and now that sounds pretty good. But what it did was it absolves the pharmaceutical corporations from any liability if their vaccines prove bad and cause harm, or okay, to include the psychiatric drugs, and but particularly with the vaccines. Now, the thing is, they say, well, it's, they're totally safe, so, you know, there's no problem there, except obviously there is a problem there because from 1989 to the present time, this government uh, vaccine injury compensation program has paid out almost $3 billion to families whose children have been harmed by these vaccines. Uh, I was watching the uh, the Republican uh, debate, the CNN debate, and uh, some people thought, oh boy, Donald Trump stepped in it when he, again, uh, well, he was challenged by Jake Tra- Trapper, uh, I believe uh, is the uh, was the moderator, and asking him about his comments, again, relating uh, autism to vaccines. And, and for many people, let's face it, the vast majority, that whole connection uh, between autism and vaccines was sort of laid to rest uh, um, some time ago, although there are still those who maintain that there is some, not necessarily causation, but perhaps a correlation. Um, so, Well, if you've been keeping up, there are some whistleblowers out of some of the pharmaceutical corporations who say uh, that the, um, uh, including the government regulators of the CDC, have actually uh, stifled reports and had people change the reports and have actually, uh, you know, basically not told the truth about the correlation between uh, vaccines and autism. Right. I, yeah, I had John uh, Rappaport on the uh, the program from No More Fake News, and we talked about uh, those specific cases, a couple of whistleblowers from the CDC, as you mentioned. All right, Jim, we're taking a time out. We'll come back and uh, continue to discuss uh, population control in all its forms. We'll talk about chemtrails, as well as one of the uh, the weapons in their arsenal. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Jim Mars is with us. Population control. How corporate owners are killing us. It's the latest, and it is a lollapalooza. Uh, the culmination of uh, decades and decades and decades of, uh, of work. And he will be here in Toronto. On Friday, October the 2nd at the University of Toronto, it's the Medical Sciences Building at the uh, St. George campus, right downtown, very easy to get to, and um, a Friday evening event. Just go to conspiracyculture.com, conspiracyculture.com, and click on the event page, and it's right there. You can uh, you can order online, you can go into the store, Conspiracy Culture at uh, on Bloor Street there, 1340. Uh, Bloor Street West, th- sorry, 1344 Bloor Street West, or just give them a call and say hi to Patrick and Kadena, 416-916-1696, 416-916-1696. Um, you were talking about how these elites and all of, you know, the millions of, of, of people, particularly here in the West, that they have sort of ensnared in this mindset that humans are a cancer, uh, we must be er- eradicated. Um, the, but the idea that overpopulation is the problem, I mean, 
everything that I've read points to the fact that the, the world's population is, is going to stabilize at around 11, 12 billion and then will actually go into a rapid decline. Take China, for example. They have a huge, this may be the biggest problem facing China because their one-child policy was so effective and, of course, because, you know, for cultural reasons, they, they, they want boys. They don't have enough women in China. Their their population is going to crash at a certain point. It will hit sort of a terminal point where they can't re you know they can't bring it back. I mean, the population is just naturally going to start uh, declining at a pretty rapid rate in about fifty, a hundred years. That's exactly right. Um, and if you but if you ask the experts, you know they've got all kinds of. Uh, predictions they'll say no we'll we'll grow and grow until we can't outstrip our resources but then that's not taking into account technology you know uh, 50 uh, 50, just 50 70 years ago you really needed big families because most people lived out on the farm and they needed people to operate the farm bring in the food today you know these huge huge agri corporations they they've got machinery to do all that I'd also point out that, you know, everybody wants to listen to the experts. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know about you, Richard, but I'm old enough to remember when there were doctors uh, in magazines and even on TV, along with Hollywood stars like Lucille Ball and, and uh, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan, saying, hey, smoke camel cigarettes. They're good for you. All right. All right. So I think we have to understand that just because you can hire some expert does not necessarily mean that that's uh, correct. Uh, you know, the the answer uh, to me in terms of of just naturally reducing population, it's all about prosperity. And we had in the West and Europe, Western Europe, we had the benefit of an industrial revolution. And there are groups. Uh, you know, the environmental movement has been co-opted by and large. You mentioned Prince Philip and he and a former SS officer, Prince Bernhard, they started the World Wildlife Fund and they view humans as a cancer. Um, but had we, you know, seen an industrial revolution in Africa, um, you know, they would, we would have had prosperity there. And we wouldn't have a population issue in places like Africa. It seems like the environmental groups want to deny um, certain regions, de the developing world, a fair shot. We had an industrial revolution, but they can't have one. That's part of the problem. Well, it absolutely is. In fact, uh, uh, a lot of the, the, the head of plan, the, the person who founded Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, okay, uh, she was very blunt about it. She said, quote, Colored people are like human weeds and need to be exterminated. Right? And then, by the way, I might point out that Hillary Clinton, who is now, you know, looks like it might, might be a real candidate for president of the United States, says, I admire Margaret Sanger enormously, her vision, her tenacity. And so, you know, at a certain level, they, they really, then we get rid of people. And this leads to all kinds of bad things. Um, for example, uh, in 2014, Okay, in Africa, you mentioned Africa. Uh, they uh, some doctors and clinics uh, accused the uh, UNICEF and the World Health Organization of injecting two million Kenyan women with a vaccine that they found was laced with a sterilization chemical. So now we're back to Prince Philip, who said, you know, if they don't reduce it voluntarily, they'll be reduced involuntarily. 
And again, the question is, who's going to decide who can procreate and who can't? Uh, but I totally agree with you, Richard, that education is a big part of it. Uh, if, people, if people are educated, have a job, and are reasonably prosperous, uh, they probably would be caring enough not to overpopulate. They would reduce them, say, say have one or two children, enough to reproduce themselves, and then, you know, see to it that uh, they take care of uh, their own birth control. Uh, to what extent has the... the um anthropogenic global warming movement uh, been co-opted by the same group intent on population control? Because I, I sort of see that as an extension of it, the idea that, again, we are a cancer, we have to reduce our our, our carbon footprint, where everything I've read s- tends to suggest this planet is, in a, is on a carbon starvation diet. <laughs> Possibly so, but what I can tell you is, sorry, Al Gore, uh, it, climate change, which they now you don't hear global warming much anymore because after those emails and, and memos surfaced showing that they were fudging their numbers and that they had an agenda, then uh, they've kind of changed the, the tune now to climate change. And yes, there probably is some climate change going on. It always has in the for the past millennia, and it probably will continue. But what people need to understand is is that it's not our it's not our fault. Right now, the polar caps on Mars are, are diminishing, so they're melting. The uh, ice on some of Jupiter's moon is melting. All right? Outer planets, uh, Uranus, are becoming more uh, bright and, and illuminated, which means they're heating up. So whatever, if there is a cause for climate change, it's solar system-wide. And it may be, it may have to do with sun spot activity flares. It may be that there's something happening in our own solar system that we're not quite yet aware of. But whatever it is, it's not just the Earth. All right, we'll take one final time out. We'll come back. One more segment remains with the great Jim Mars population control, how corporate owners are killing us. Stay with us. All right, uh, Jim Morris stays with us a few moments yet before we turn out the lights and say goodnight. Uh, Jim, I'm worried about the um, the proliferation of, of cell phone use with, with um, young people, very young people, uh, you know, who it looks like it's, you know, the, the cell phone is surgically attached to their head, uh, walking down the street constantly on that phone. And, you know, I, we don't have long-term studies about this. I'm thinking, you know, my gosh, are we going to have an epidemic of brain cancer in the next 20 years? I mean, is that one of the weapons in the arsenal? Well, yeah, that's part of it, too. The problem is uh, it, it's so such recent technology that we really actually, no one actually knows uh, what this uh, ELF, extremely low frequency uh, uh, radiation, and that's what it is, it's electromagnetic radiation, we don't know really what that's going to do to us in the long run. Uh, and I'm fearful that if we don't start paying more closer attention and do something, uh, we are going to have real problems in the future. Um, I've got a one-and-a-half-year-old grandson, and he, he got onto my wife's computer, managed to turn it on, and managed to change her, uh, her uh, front page, her uh, wallpaper. <laughs> I figured that out. I don't know because I have trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So we just really have no idea. And I was also, uh, when I make my talk, uh, I'm going to show you a map of uh, 
just Texas, one state, and uh, all of the uh, cell towers that they have put up there, uh, and it just it just covers the state, and it's absolutely incredible. And we have no idea what that actually is going to be doing to us. Uh, but we ha- they have done studies uh, on the use of the cell phone. Now, the cell phone is a wonderful thing, and I, what a godsend, especially if you're, you get stuck out somewhere, say, with a flat tire or whatever. It used to be you had to hike for miles, find a farmhouse, bang on the door, risk getting shot, <laughs> you right, know, r- right. risk of being accused of accosting the farmer's daughter, the old joke. And uh, to try to get some help. Today, the cell phone, great. You dial up and say, I need some road service, you know. But the problem is, they have found that with a cell phone, it causes thermal heating of the head, and which can lead to brain cancers and brain damage. All right? So what's the deal? What do we do about cell phones? Well, cell phones, I think, are wonderful, but they need to be treated like you should treat your credit card. Okay. It's great to have one on you in case of emergency, but otherwise, don't use it, okay? What about chemtrails? Uh, is, is, that, is that, again, part of the uh, plan to keep us, not just kill us off, but just to keep us sort of permanently uh, sick in a state of declining health, vulnerable? Well, we do know, uh, of course, what is in chemtrails, and, and that's barium and, and uh, aluminum oxide. Strontium. Uh, aluminum. Uh, and by the way, we also know that uh, you've got fluoride and uh, aluminum adding to jet fuel. And when, these, when the fluoride and the, and the aluminum and the chemtrails fuse uh, at uh, high altitudes, it forms aluminum fluoride, which, uh, you know, I don't have to remind your listeners that uh, this is why... Uh, uh, Aluminum cookware is kind of out because they found that aluminum can seep into your system, get in your brain, cause uh, brain deficiency, cause uh, all kinds of Alzheimer's and everything else. And I don't know, chemtrails is is definitely a real problem area that we need to be looking at uh, because, again, it's it's so recent, we don't really know uh, what it's actually going to do to us, but it can't be good especially in the fact that the government declines to even admit that it's happening. And yet all you have to do is look up in the sky. And if you see an airplane, a high-flying airplane, uh, at some high altitude, and it's leaving a white trail behind it, but it finally ends, depending on the atmospheric conditions, it might be a long trail or it might be kind of a short trail, but it will evaporate because that is a condensation trail. And it's simply uh, when the warm air of the engine of the plane, whether it's jet or piston, once that uh, connects with the super cold air up at the uh, higher altitudes, uh, it turns to water vapor and it streams back away from the plane. But as it cools off, it, it evaporates, it goes away. That's a contrail. That's what we're really used to seeing, and that's what they keep trying to tell everybody you're actually seeing. But when you see a trail out coming off of an airplane, it goes from one horizon to the other, and keep watching it. It doesn't dissipate. It spreads out. And what started off maybe as a sky-blue, beautiful morning by afternoon is a milky, hazy white. Those are chemtrails, folks, and they are dumping chemicals and even pathogens on you. It's been found. 
Well, uh, just look at the aluminum, the uh, the um, aluminum concentrations uh, in soil. Now there is some naturally occurring aluminum, but when you find it in in, in such high concentrations in pristine areas like Mount Shasta, right. uh, and seeping into the water, and and the soil now becoming so alkaline as a result. Uh, that nothing is growing properly except for the Monsanto crops, which are adapted for alkaline soil. <laughs> Coincidence? <laughs> exactly. I think not. Uh, how can you deny that there's something going on? Well, you can, and then they're coming at us from all sides, okay? Uh, for example, uh, another false premise is that the idea of peak oil, that somehow or another we're running out of oil, and so we have to do all kinds of extreme measures to find new uh, sources of gas and oil. Well, number one, that's not even true anyway, because uh, if somebody tries to tell you that we're running out of oil, just give them three words, backing rock formation, okay, B-A-K-K-E-N, backing rock formation. Uh, the backing is a huge underground deposit of uh, petroleum that stretches from the United States well into Saskatchewan, okay, and according to the experts, there's enough untapped petroleum there to last at increased rates of consumption for the next 2,000 years, okay? But, of course, we don't want to do that because we're choking ourselves to death on the pollution anyway. But based on this faulty premise that we just have to do anything to get more gas and oil supplies, that leads to hydraulic fracturing, okay, where they pump millions of gallons of water under high pressure deep into the earth to open up cracks and uh, supposedly help find more hydrocarbons. But it's not just pure water. Each well, and there's about 500,000 of them just in the United States, um, uses up to, up to 8 million gallons of water mixed with sand and about 40,000 chemicals, including such wonders as uh, lead, uranium, mercury, hydrochloric acid, formaldehyde, uh, and then, not only that, not only are they polluting the water supplies, uh, because this water has to then be pumped out and left in open uh, evaporation pits, and you, so you got all these uh, chemicals that are now in the water that evaporates, and now they're in the atmosphere, and people around there are breathing it. Uh, it it's really incredible. Uh, and again, it's based on a false premise that they just have to have more uh, gas and oil. And another thing, too, is that they're creating earthquakes. Uh, in uh, the state of Oklahoma, for example, um, we saw uh, in the past there was only maybe one earthquake every year on an average, okay? But in the past 10 years, it's now up to 20 and 30 earthquakes. And, uh, in fact, on one particular day, uh, there's like 20 earthquakes uh, just uh, on the same day. So, uh, you know, and the state authorities there in Oklahoma uh, studied them and came to the conclusion that it was due to man's uh, man-made activity. Well, there you go. It's the fracking. But again, the ass and oil industries and multi-corporations, multinational corporations, are so stout that, uh, you know, they're still arguing over that. Well, no, no, their dad is wrong, and no, they don't quite understand it. But, you know, it seems simple enough to me, uh, when you start fracking and earthquakes start, there's some kind of connection. You, you're going to be, uh, again, up here Friday, October the 2nd, and uh, you'll be on stage probably around two hours. Uh, uh, so you just cr- scratched the surface tonight. But in a, we have a couple minutes here. Just leave us 
with a little bit of of, of hope, Jim, uh, because I know you, you a large part of the book is is about defending ourselves, and certainly knowledge is 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 is, is one thing we can do. But just in a minute here, tell us what else can we do. Well, uh, the problem is it's an individual thing. I can't tell any individual what to do or what not to do, but I would say just as a general rule, number one, educate yourself, okay? Uh, read my book. I'm not asking for anybody's belief. You don't have to believe me, but read it. And you'll see my sources. Check. Then you'll know for yourself. Then it's not a question of whether you want to believe Jim Mars. It's a question of I know this, all right? Now, once you know the truth and once you understand about how these corporate owners are basically trying to rid the world of seven billion people, then one thing you can do is spread the word. Start talking to your friends and neighbors, host a neighborhood gathering, uh, start a book club, you know, write letters to the editor, just start doing something. Because the good news is that there are more of us good people, hardworking, conscientious people, than there are of them, okay? And uh, if we simply could get our act together and uh, come to some agreements about what is good and, and prosperous for humanity, then maybe we could uh, rectify this situation. Uh, is there – do they have – they, uh, the, uh, the, the, the corporate owners, the elites, do they have something in store for us that's really going to sort of move their population control agenda forward in a very big way uh, are we talking about world war three are we talking about some i don't know outbreak avian flu some pathogen do you see something right around the corner that you're concerned about <laughs> could be all of the above and uh yes uh we do seem there seems to be a quickening a hastening uh we all seem to be rushing pell-mell into a future and and heading towards a true crossroads uh and that is are we going to um, fall into a 1984 Orwellian-type world with, you know, surveillance, with a, the, some government spy knowing what you're doing 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, and then be totally numbed and dumbed by uh, bad water, bad air, <laughs> bad vaccines, uh, bad food even, you know? Or are we going to kind of wise up and say, you know, number one, let's put people in power who care about the people, not just the next election. And let's listen to people who don't have any reason uh, other than telling us the truth. And just in other words, be an aware citizen and pay attention to what's going on and then work for a better world. All right, Jim. Well, people can get um, more of this information when you're up here Friday, October the 2nd. Uh, and uh, that will be a Conspiracy Culture special event. Go to their website, conspiracyculture.com, and you can order online. Jim, always a pleasure. Looking forward to seeing you there. Thank you, Richard. Look forward to seeing you. Population control, how corporate owners are killing us. My thanks to Ian Robertson, Albert Venzel, back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.